Many of you have probably heard the story of the zoo that was well known for having a wide variety of animals. And uh, it so happened that the gorilla in this zoo, uh, in this zoo uh, died. The gorilla died. And so the, um, the zookeeper, feeling the stress, it was going to take some time to get a new gorilla, was trying to figure out what are we going to do. And, and so they, they found a gorilla suit and they hired a man to wear this gorilla suit. And it was his first day at work and he had the suit on and he was in the gorilla area of the zoo and, and he was trying to convincingly act as if he was a gorilla making the right movements and such. And it just so happened that he got awful close to the, to the barrier and he tripped. And as he did, he fell and he fell down into the lion exhibit, and realizing that his life was, was going to be over soon, he started screaming, and the lion spoke up and said, would you be quiet? We're both going to get fired. <laughs> now, none of us go to a zoo because we want to see a fake lion or a fake gorilla. We want things to be real. And there's a sense in which we feel this tension even within ourselves, because we want to be people who are genuine, who are real. But sometimes, those of us who are believers, if we're not careful, we're, we'll sort of dress up Christian. We'll sort of play Christian, but not actually live life as a true believer. The problem is that our life doesn't always line up with what we say we believe. It's true for all of us who are followers of Christ. And so today we're going to talk more about that. We're going to see that Jesus calls us to live as an authentic disciple. But not just that. We're going to see that he tells us how to do that. He reminds us that, that, that God is going to help us do just that. We'll be in Matthew 7, beginning in verse 7, as we continue our journey through the Sermon on the Mount. Now, we are nearing the end of the Sermon on the Mount in this uh, time that Jesus preached, he was preaching what it meant to be a kingdom, uh, or to be a citizen of the kingdom, to be a true follower of his, to be a disciple. Now, up from, uh, through chapter 5 till now, we've seen Jesus teach through the Beatitudes uh, about the importance of uh, being poor in spirit, and, and meek, and merciful, and pure, and being a peacemaker. He's taught about, he's taught about being salt and light. He's warned against unrighteous anger and lust. He's taught about marriage and divorce of keeping promises, of avoiding retaliation, of giving. He's taught about prayer and the Lord's Prayer. He's taught about fasting and money and the kingdom and anxiety. And last week we looked at what Jesus had to say about harsh judgments or hypocritical judgments. And so as Jesus is bringing the Sermon on the Mount to a conclusion, he knew the kind of weight that his followers were going to feel. I mean, this is... This is Real life. Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow me, this is how you live. And if you're, you're there listening to the sermon, after a while, you've got to begin to say, man, how am I going to do this? How am I going to live this out? And so here is Jesus' answer. Let's pick up in Matthew 7, beginning in verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, 
know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. In this text, we'll see, and again, we're thinking of the Sermon on the Mount, big picture, not just the immediate verses, but big picture, considering verse 12 as well. In this text, Jesus teaches that we should live as an authentic disciple. We should live as an authentic disciple, and our text gives two keys for living as an authentic disciple. First, rely on God in prayer. Rely on God in prayer. Look at, look at verse 7 there, ask. So here he's saying, go to God and bring your needs. Bring your needs to him in prayer. It's as simple as that. And then he says, seek. And this idea conveys a certain intensity. Like I'm seeking something. I'm after something. There's a certain devotion here. This is not haphazard or, well, if this works out, great. But if not, no problem. It's, it's nothing like that. No, this is a heartfelt desire to get a hold of something. And so Jesus says, you seek and you'll find. And then he says, knock. Knock. And, and this has the idea of a, pers- a certain persistence. I'm knocking. I'm, I'm going to be diligent in prayer. Now, all of these verbs, ask, seek, knock, are, are present imperative verbs, which implies an ongoing action. In other words, prayer ought to be the habit of your life, that you're asking God, that you're seeking Him, that, that, you're, that you're knocking on His door, bringing needs to Him. I want you to understand that, that Jesus doesn't give some sort of... Um, Fancy words that have, to be, that have to be said. You don't have to say, Oh, dear God, thou art, and begin to talk. You don't have to play any of those games. It's just a simple ask. It's a simple ask. You just go to him. No fancy words, no spiritual incantations that you might see in, in Eastern religions, none of that. And in Matthew 6, earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, verses 9 through 13, Jesus has already taught his disciples how to pray. Remember the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer? Here, he's teaching about the power of prayer and how God works through prayer. Look in verse 8. He says, everyone who, who asks receives. Now, this doesn't mean everyone like worldwide, every single person on the planet. In context, Jesus is talking about all of those who are his disciples. So all of those who belong to him who ask are, are going to receive. Those who seek are going to find. Those who knock will find that the door opens. Now, some people will take verse 8, and this is exactly what we talked about last week, and they'll do the very thing with verse 8 that folks have a tendency to do with, with what we, the verse we talked about last week, Matthew 7, 1, do not judge. And they'll say, ask and be given, seek, and you'll find, knock, the door be opened. You can ask Jesus whatever you want, and he's going to give it to you. you. You can ask him. And there's a whole heresy within Christianity that, that is... Uh, uh, incredibly problematic. It's called the prosperity uh, uh, gospel. Basically, it says this. If you have enough faith, and by your words and by your faith, you can speak and believe things into being. And so if you have enough faith, you can say, you know what? God, make me a millionaire. I'm praying with you. Make me a millionaire. If you've got enough faith, prosperity gospel says, buddy, the checks are in the mail. They're coming. Um, God Heal me. And if you believe in the prosperity gospel, what the prosperity gospels teach you is whatever you pray 
uh, whatever, you, whatever you speak into being with your words, if you have enough faith, then you're automatically going to be healed. And we know from the rest of Scripture that sometimes God chooses to heal and sometimes He doesn't. Sometimes He gives us grace in the midst of, of that hardship and difficulty. And so this verse, if taken out of context, can be abused and, and a terrible kind of theology will result. Now, let me draw your attention to 1 John 5, verses 14 and 15. And this is the confidence we have Toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. And what you see there in 1 John 5 is that when you ask according to the will of God, he hears and answers. Now, this is really important because when you're trying to understand what the Bible teaches on a particular topic, what you do is you ask, what do the verses around this say? That is, what is the context of this verse? And then you begin to ask, what does all of Scripture say? And then you ask yourself, what does Scripture say on this topic in other places? So right here in 1 John 5, we see that the the Scriptures teach that God answers our prayers when we ask according to His will. And now, we'll skip down, and in just a moment we'll talk more about it, but in verse 11, you see the very same idea here. God answers our prayers with good things, and we'll talk more about that in a moment. But what I want us to understand is that Matthew 7 Verse 8 is not saying that God is a Santa Claus up in heaven who will give you whatever you want if you've got enough faith. That's not what this verse is saying. The rest of Scripture makes that clear. So let's look at verse 9. Jesus asks here a couple of rhetorical questions to prove his point. He says, which one of you, if if your kiddo came to you and said, hey, give me bread, you'd say, hey, here's a plate full of stones, enjoy you're not going to do that. that. That's the point of Jesus asking this question. He, he gives another example. If your uh, boy says, hey, Dad, can I have fish? Well, uh, no, you can't have fish, but how about a snake? Would that be all right? He says, you're, you're not going to do that. Why? Because parents are motivated by a love for their children. If you look at uh, Luke's uh, t- similar teaching, where Jesus was teaching this, these similar ideas in the book of Luke, verse 12, you'll, you'll see the addition of, if your child asks for an egg, which will give him a scorpion. Now, let me mention something for a second. Sometimes you'll encounter folks who will say, you know what, the Gospels contradict themselves. And they'll, they'll mention uh, maybe this passage and say, look, here, Jesus said this, but then when you turn over to Luke... He says, well, what about an egg and a scorpion? Matthew mentions nothing, nothing of that. Is, is there some sort of a contradiction? Do we really have a reliable, accurate understanding of the words of Jesus and what he said? And so they'll make this accusation. But in reality, we have to, to recognize that Jesus taught about the same subjects in a lot of different places and a lot of different times. So it would be crazy to think that when he did, he would have to use the exact same words every time. So so we need to recognize there's not a contradiction here. This is kind of an aside, but we need to think through this as we read the Gospels. In verse 11, Jesus makes a comparison to to illustrate his point. Uh, He says in verse 11, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So Jesus makes a comparison. He says, You... Who are evil know how to give good gifts to your kids. God will do the same. Now, I want you to notice that he separates himself when he makes this statement. He says to his disciples, you who are evil. But he's not included in that statement. There's a reason for that. Because Jesus 
is the sinless Son of God. He is fully God and fully human, the God-man. And as he walked this earth, he lived a perfect life. He never sinned, not one time. That's what the scriptures teach over and over. And because he never sinned, he could be the sacrifice for our own sin. So that's exactly what, what he came to this earth for. He walked this earth and he lived a perfect life and he was nailed to the cross. Why? Because we are evil. Because our hearts are sinful and God loves us. And God wants to make a way for sinful people like me and like you to be able to have a relationship with him and to live forever with him in heaven. And so what did Jesus do? The sinless son of God was nailed to the cross, was buried, and he rose again. And he made a way for us to be saved. He made a way for us to be reconciled to God. What what do we do to, to begin a relationship with God? Well, we turn from our sin and we say, God, I don't want to go my own way anymore. I believe Jesus came and lived and died and rose again, and I want to follow him. And the Bible tells us that that when we call out to God in that way, he saves us, he rescues us. So here, Jesus is not just another human. He is human, but he's also God, and he's the sinless son of God. But he says, you who are evil. Now, does this mean that that all of us are as terrible and as wicked as we could possibly be? No, that's not what what the scriptures mean when they say that we're sinful. From the moment that that Adam and Eve sinned, every one of us have had a sin nature. That means that all of our decisions and everything that we do is tainted by sin. And so Jesus is saying, if you who have sinful hearts, whose decisions are tainted by sin, if you know how to be good to your kids, how much more Does God know how to be good to his kids? And we know that there are exceptions to this. There are parents that abuse their kids and things like that. This is a Genesis 3 world. But by and large, God's common grace that's been given to all of humanity means that by nature, parents really want to care for their kids. They really want to love their kids. And Jesus makes that comparison from lesser to greater. If you love your kids, oh, imagine how much the Father loves you if you belong to him. Imagine how great his love for you is and how he wants to give you good things. How he wants to give you good things. Now, this is not, as I mentioned a moment ago, praying to win the lottery. God, I'm praying I'm going to win the lottery. Please let this ticket be it. God, I'm asking, I'm seeking, I'm not. It's nothing like that. God will give good things to his kids. Now, we may think good is lavish. We may think good is getting more and more and more and all those kinds of things. If my kids get a bag of candy, good is getting to eat all of it. But it's not good. And God has a father's perspective, a father who loves and a father who cares. So he will give good things according to his will. Now remember, we've just talked about how God calls us to live all these things in the Sermon on the Mount. He calls us to follow him in humility and calls us to walk in purity and calls us not to retaliate and and all of these things that are, as we mentioned a moment ago, overwhelming. You want to know what good things we can pray for? We can pray those things. We can pray, God, help me to live out the truths of your word. Those are the good things that we can ask God and be certain that he's going to answer. We, We can be sure of it. Now, if you have a train track, and you've got some cars out on that track that are filled with grain. By itself, a train car filled with grain is not going to move. It's just, it's not going to. What you got to do is you got to take that grain car you know, and you got to hook it up. 
You've got to have an engine that's pulling that grain car. And if you get an engine on that grain car, then that grain car can get moving. And that's exactly what we're saying here regarding the Christian life. In and of ourselves, we don't have the strength to get where we need to go. We don't have the strength to live out all of these uh, commands that, that Jesus has taught in the Sermon on the Mount. But when we get connected to God, when we seek Him in prayer, He gets us moving. He, he helps us to change. We, we recognize that we're not on our own to, to, to become more like Christ. No, He's the engine. He's the one that empowers us. He's the one that enables us uh, to do this. It's not a grit our teeth and go, I'm going to get this. No, it's a we seek God and we trust him to get us moving ahead. Oh, what a beautiful picture it is of a God who loves his kids and helps us become more like him and gives us those kinds of good things. So what does this look like in our lives? Well, first, being a true disciple means you realize your need for God's help. You realize your need for God's help. We have a tendency to think, you know what, I got this. I'm good. But what we really need to do is to say, oh God, I, I'm the grain card. I can't move on my own. I need help. I can't walk in humility when, when someone offends me or I can't be gentle when, when someone is rough with me. God, I need your help to be those things. Help me get moving in the direction that, that you want me to go. Uh, what else does this mean? It means that we should have confidence that God answers the prayers of his children. God answers the prayers of his children. Sometimes the Lord tells us no. When, when my kid says, hey, can I have all the candy? Baby, you can. No. Sometimes God says yes. He, he answers the prayer just as we prayed it. Sometimes God answers the prayer in a different way. And what I mean by that, he gives us what's best for us. But what's best for us isn't always what's easiest for us. We need to, we need to see that. We need to get a hold of that. He always answers his children's prayers for good things, for, for, for godly things, for right things. Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16, remind us of God's heart and love for his people. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect, been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. What does this tell us? That God loves us. He sent His Son to make a way for us to be able to bring our needs to Him. What does this mean for you? You're not on your own. You want to change? You want to become different? You, you want to you be a real Christian, not just kind of play Christian, you're not in this on your own. You're not relying on your own strength. God's in this with you. He, he will help you. Uh, what else does this look like in our lives? Well, it means we ought to pray Scripture. Pray Scripture for yourself and for others. Want to know what good things are? Well, if we pray according to the Word of God, surely we're praying good things. Let me give you an example. Think about the, the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5. This is a, a wonderful prayer. It's a great template for prayer. Lord, I pray that you would fill my life with love. Help me to love others as you love them. Lord, I pray you would fill my heart with joy. Help me not to be weighted down by the, by the burdens of the world. God, fill my heart with joy. God, will you give me peace with, with this worry and that worry and this that's, that's pulling at me and tugging at me. This could happen. And God, I need your peace. Will you fill me with your peace? 
God, you know at work today I'm going to be dealing with this situation and this person. It would be easy for me to lose my cool. God, I'm praying for patience. God, will you give me patience? And you just work your way through uh, Galatians 5, praying through the fruits of the Spirit. And there are countless examples of scriptures that are good to pray. These are the kinds of prayers that God answers, that he answers. So we've seen that we should rely on God in prayer. What else is key in being a faithful disciple? Well, aim to treat others in a way that reveals your faith. Aim to treat others in a way that reveals your faith. Now, as we look at verses 7 through 11, uh, we see how God loves his children and how he's for his children. In verse 12, we're going to see that same kind of love uh, lived out in the Christian life. So the Christian life is a life of love. It's a life of love. It's a life where you allow the God who's changing you and shaping you to, to, to be expressed and to be um, uh, made known by the way you live, by, by your actions. We know that what Jesus is saying here is a paraphrase of the second greatest commandment. Love your neighbors yourself. See that in Leviticus 19, 18 and also in Matthew twenty two thirty nine. 39. Now, almost every philosophical or religious system has some similar idea to what we see here in verse 12. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. And we call it the golden rule. But... Everyone that has been discovered has been slightly different, actually significantly different. Uh, Rabbi Hillel wrote around AD 20, What is hateful to you, do not do to anyone else. This is the whole law. All the rest is commentary. Go and learn it. What's hateful to you, do not do to others. In Confucianism, you'll see this. Do not do to others what you do not want them to do to you. But what you're going to see is all of these statements and these other religious systems are stated in the negative. They're really more about self-interest than anything else. But Jesus states the idea positively. What you wish that others would do, you do to them. Stated in a positive way, you can see that, that this statement has much greater force. Not only do you avoid doing the negative things that you wouldn't want done to yourself, but instead now you're seeking to bless others. You're seeking to care for others and love others. You're, you're, you're treating them the way that, that you yourself would love to be treated. So not just avoiding behavior, but, but you're looking for ways to care. Romans 13, 8 says, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves one another has fulfilled the law. When Jesus says, this is the law and the prophets, what's he saying? He's saying that this is a summary of what it means to walk with God, that it affects how we live. It affects how we treat other people, that we really, really love them. Now, as you think about this, true disciples are going to live out their faith. The way you treat the people around you, the people you interact with, is going to reveal your faith. I heard of a man who had been a point guard uh, his senior year of high school. He was the captain of his basketball team. And it was an important near the end of the district game. At this particular point, the game was, the first half of the game was wrapping up. And they had just moments before it would end. He was supposed to get the ball and get it to another player. And they had a goal, of course, of making a basket right before they heard that buzzer. And so, as time come and he, 
He got the ball. A defender knocked it out of his hands. The opportunity was lost. And the man said that his coach uh, usually was pretty laid back, but he said during halftime he got in his face and he said to him, Senior, Captain, Point Guard, are all of those true? And the man said, I was standing there looking at him and I said, Yes, they're all true. And the coach said, Then act like it. Then act like it. And I believe Jesus is saying to hear as we think in verse 12, Are these things true of you? Are you really my follower? Then live it. Put it into practice. You can't claim one thing and do another. Live it. Again, we know not in our own strength. We're we're asking for God's help. So being a true disciple means having a faith that spills out of you. And it's revealed in the way you treat others. Sometimes something will happen to us and we'll start, and maybe we have a response that's not good, a response we're not proud of, and we start saying, well, that other person, if they hadn't done X, Y, Z, but in reality, all they did was reveal what was on the inside. That's all they did. They just revealed what was happening. They, they kind of gave the cup a nudge. The cup came spilling out and what was inside. That's the reality of it. You see, We want to be so in love with Jesus. We want to be so transformed by him that when the cup gets knocked, what spills out is good. What spills out is love, righteousness, holiness, not evil and hard-heartedness and all of those kinds of things. Following this rule, as it's called, the golden rule, means that you don't have to endlessly list all the things that should be done and all the things that shouldn't be done. Think right now. If you could make people follow the golden rule, countless laws could be taken out of the books. Um, Imagine that, how how the law would change if everyone had to follow the golden rule. But no, now we've got to, we we don't do this sort of thing so often, and now we've got to list out every possibility and every rule, and everything's complicated and hard. This rule just simplifies it all. Do to others what you would want them to do to you. So respect others, pray for others, serve others, forgive others, bear with others. Don't lie to others. Don't try to hurt others. And the list could go on and on and on. Live all of this out, Jesus says. I heard the story of an usher who was in church who was training a a new usher. And he said, now in this church, we got nothing but good, kind-hearted Christians until you try to seat someone else in their pew. And you think about that. What, What we see is a lot of the times... If we're not careful, we're just pretending. But it it can't be like that, brothers and sisters. We want to be the real thing. And by God's grace, as we seek Him, we we can be. We we really can. I wonder, do you follow this rule, doing to others you would have them do unto you? Do you follow this rule in your life? How about with your spouse? Husbands, is that how we treat our wives? Don't ask mine. Um, But is that how we treat our wives? It needs to be. Um, Parents, is that how we treat our kids? It doesn't mean that we don't discipline. Of course we do. We want their good, and discipline is a part of that. But but we do it in a way that is respectful, the way that we would want to be treated in, in a similar situation. And children, what about you? How you talk to your parents and how you deal with your parents. Do you treat them with the kind of honor that you would like to be treated? Brothers, sisters... Other people in your family, often families are the place where we feel the most rub. 
Do you live this out? You know what? This even applies to our enemies. We ought to treat our enemies in the way that we would want to be treated. In your relationships with others, do you try to just do the bare minimum to get by? Or do you seek to show others the kind of care and respect that you would like others to show you? Jesus wants us to live it out. When people see your faith, is it evident by the way you treat them? Is it evident by the way you treat others? Is it clear, like looking through a clear glass pane? Or when people look at your life and your faith, is it more foggy, like a a windshield that's fogged over and you can barely see through it? It's not that clear. It's not that evident. In Hollywood, when, when actors are trying to to portray a particular scene that's very emotional. One of the strategies that they'll use is something called method acting. And this is where an actor, let's say they've got a a part in a movie that's supposed to be really, really joyful. Then they'll try to think back to a time in their own life when they experienced something that was incredibly joyful. And they'll try to bring those emotions to bear as they act the scene out. They'll also do the same sort of thing when they come to a scene that's crushing and heartbreaking and devastating. And often movies will have psychologists who will be a part of her or uh, uh, a therapist who can be a part of all of this because it's said that many of the actors who employ this strategy experience a certain exhaustion and fatigue and a fear, sometimes fear, sometimes shame, sometimes even psychiatric disorders that they, that they think are linked to this method acting. You know, brothers and sisters, as believers, we, we don't want to pretend. It's exhausting to pretend. You know what we want to do? We want to be the real thing. We want to live it. We, we want to make our faith real. What if we decided that we're not going to dress up as Christians any longer? but that we were instead going to press hard into the Lord Jesus, seeking God and praying for his help, crying out to him, God, help me to change in this area. God, help me to be different in this, in this way. What if we were so resolved that we were going to seek God until we were changed and became more Christ-like? Think of how that would spill into our relationships with others. Instead of being negative all the time, we have a different spirit. Instead of being arrogant, we walked in humility. Instead of trying to cut cut corners and get by, we walked with integrity. Imagine what kind of an impact this could have if, 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 if we all did this. You know what I believe would happen? I believe we'd see people coming to know Jesus like crazy. Why? Because they would see something so real in, in our lives that would be compelling to them. Something really different. Something that's convincing Because you don't see this kind of realness, this kind of genuineness, this kind of authenticity often. It doesn't mean that we'll be perfect. What does it mean? It means that when we drop the ball, we'll own it. You know what? Uh, You you, you go to a friend. You said something you shouldn't. When you've dropped the ball, you you own it. Hey, I'm sorry I did this. I said that. I don't want to be that person. I'm asking God to help me change. That's being real. That's being authentic. That's living out the faith. So Jesus calls us to live as authentic disciples. That means we must rely on God in prayer. That means we need to aim to let our faith faith spill out on others. So pray daily for the grace to be a Jesus-loving disciple who lavishly loves others. Let's pray for that. Now, some of you 
who are here today, you've been pretending, but, but it's in a different way. Maybe you've sort of pretended that you are a Christian, and in reality you're not. You know, you've gone to church some, maybe when you were younger, went through some sort of religious ritual. Maybe walked the aisle of a church, but it's never really meant anything in your life. And all through these years, you've just sort of said, yeah, I think I am. It's okay. It's okay. I'm, I'm there. I, I'm, I do more good than bad. And brothers and sisters, I want to plead with you. Friends, please hear me. There's a difference between being a person who knows some about Jesus and a person who tries to be pretty good and being a person who's repented of their sins and put their trust in the Lord Jesus. There's a difference. And so I ask you today, friend, have you ever turned away from your sin and said to Jesus, I want to follow you? The Bible tells us that whoever calls on the name of the Lord like that will be saved, that he'll rescue. The Bible tells us that you'll know God here on earth and you'll know him forever and ever in heaven. What a beautiful promise. So maybe if you've kind of been saying, hey, I'm going to just sort of be a Christian. I'll be a decent person, go to church every now and then. Maybe what God's calling you to do is to, the, to do the real thing, to really become one. Whatever the Lord is speaking to you about this morning, I want to urge you to obey. Let's pray together.